Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 255th episode of the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So it's a great day. We are at... 388,409 show listens and downloads. And uh, we're averaging about 14,500 listens every month. So again, thank you for everyone. We're very excited that this just continues to grow and everyone, you know, really enjoys what they're listening to. And if you have any kind of um, you know, recommendations or things that you haven't heard me talk about in all these episodes, please let me know. I'm, I'm more than happy to put it on my schedule and see what I can find for you. So today I'm going to go into some ICD-10 coding. I always like to talk about that, especially during certain times of the year. I mean, we're in September now, and again, I hope everyone had a good Labor Day. Um, but we are embarking on the 2023 rules for ICD-10 starting October 1st. So we've got a couple weeks still, but I wanted to you know, really talk about a specialty that I also do. I know a lot of people recognize me for cardiology, but gastroenterology is also one of my specialties. And so there always seems to be a question regarding coding for colon polyps and history of colon polyps, especially since we have some really good screening um, coverages with Medicare and now with a lot of the commercial plans, you want to get this correct. Remember when we had ICD-9 codes, it was really easy to code for a colon polyp or a history of a colon polyp because we only had two codes. <laughs> so. We had a 211.3, um, and then um, we also had a 0.8, and it was just basically, you know, what was it um, malignant or not? You know, was it cancerous or not? But now we have things like hyperplastic polyps and also specific location of polyps, and um, we want to make sure that you're coding correctly, otherwise it could pend your claim. But I also like to give chapter verse uh, when I say, okay, this is how you should report it. And it's usually from the AHA coding clinic, American Hospital Association, because if you have that chapter verse, then not just from the AGA, American Gastroenterological Society Association, but also the AHA is really more of the, the coding body, if you will, when it comes to ICD-10 coding. So let's first look at a couple of definitions. So hyperplastic colon polyps, so these have little to no malignancy potential, okay? They're not neoplastic in nature. They're what they call serrated polyps. So they're typically found in the distal colon and in the rectal area. Um, Follow-up is not as often for these kind of polyps. Also, you're typically looking at um, diagnostic services versus screening services as well. You might find them incidentally um, in the PATH report. Adamatosis colon polyps, now these have a high potential for malignancy, but most times are benign during their initial findings. So these are, uh, these are diagnoses and polyps that physicians may put under surveillance. These are what they call adenomas. You might also see the words tubular, tubulovilius, um, vilius, and uh, sessile serrated. So follow-up is needed for an adamatosis polyp more than a hyperplastic polyp because of the the nature of the polyp and what they could potentially become. And so I've had family members that have had colon cancer, so we always want to be mindful of that and make sure that, you know, if there's anything like a low-grade fever or temperature or, you know, rectal bleeding or anything that is even a concern that um, you definitely get that checked out. 
So here's a coding question. How do you code um, a history of hyperplastic colon or rectal polyp? So Z87.19, personal history of other diseases of digestive system, this is what would be reported when a hyperplastic colon or rectal polyp is documented. It would not be appropriate to report Z86.010, which is the personal history of colonic polyps because the title of this subcategory is personal history of benign neoplasm. And remember, since the hyperplastic polyps are not neoplastic in nature, so meaning that they don't have that potential for malignancy, then this code would not be appropriate. So how do you code uh, the history of a colon or rectal polyp without further clarification of the type of polyp? So if you don't know if it's hyperplastic or adamatosis. So this is something, and actually this is interesting because I always try to go back to the physician and, and query and get more information. But the AHH clinic, um, or HA clinic said, and this was referenced um, number 500-24171.118, um, said code Z86.010, personal history of colonic polyps should be assigned when, and I'm air quoting, history of colon polyps is documented by the provider. History of colon polyps specifically indexes to code Z86.010. So that was from the AHA coding clinic first quarter 2017. There is not an index entry for rectal polyps. So then you'd have to code Z87.19, personal history of other diseases of digestive system that would be assigned for a rectal polyp. So history of personal but neoplasm. So you have either benign, there's actually brain, or there's colon polyp. So you would have benign would be Z86.018, brain Z86.011, and colon polyp, again, personal history of benign. If your physician says that, then Z86.010. But you're, I would also query because it, you're also looking at possible benefits when you're dealing with screening guidelines as well. And then how do you code for a history of colon or rectal polyp that has been further classified at, as adamatosis polyp? Now go, and you go back to the definition that I mentioned that these polyps have a high potential for malignancy. Now they're most time they're benign when you first find them, but um, this is they do have that cancer quality. And so that would be Z86.01, personal history of benign neoplasm can be reported. And the code would be further specified depending on the colon or rectum, which would be Z86.010 or Z86.018. Remember the Z86.01 and then you would have an extra character. Now what if you pa the patient has a current hyperplastic colon polyp? Okay, so how you, what um, is used to for a currently documented hyperplastic colon polyp, and that's regardless of the site within the colon, that is K63.5, okay, that's polyp of the colon. And that, again, the doctor has to be clear on that specificity of hyperplastic. How do you code current adamatosis colon rectal polyp? Okay, so now um, the quality of those polyps that the patient has, again, not a history, but current. Now you're in the category D12 because now you have specific sites. This has been really helpful, especially when you have um, multiple uh, procedural services that you're doing as far as um, colonoscopies and, and techniques that you're taking out the polyp. And so the D12 category would be reported and then you get the site specific. So it'd be D12.0 through 09, depending on um, where it is. 
Now, how do you code a current colon or rectal polyp without any further documentation of specificity? Well, now you're at the K63.5 again. That's kind of the default code for a colon polyp. Rectal polyp without any further specificity is K62.1. But remember, these are in the digestive system. And so even though they may be um, not otherwise specified colon or rectal polyp, you could have trouble with reimbursement should this become an issue because it's not now linked really to colon cancer potential. It's now linked to digestive system. So when you get into the case system, you've kind of moved out of the potential for an eventual screening or if, you're, um, if the patient's policy has frequency guidelines, even on diagnostics. So you always want to code the highest degree of certainty at the time of the code assignment and then make sure that um, you're checking to with the this is where you need to have some kind of family history also within the record. I know I hear a lot of people saying, well, you don't need, you know, history anymore or exam to level a code. It doesn't mean you don't need it depending on the patient's presentation. You still have to have a medically appropriate history and exam in, in the gastroenterology specialty. You absolutely do. So make sure that you're looking at, just to reference this back, AHA coding clinic for ICD-10-CM, first quarter 2017 and second quarter 2015. And the page range is 14 through 17. So hopefully that you know helps it for those of you that are dealing with uh, coding for uh, colon polyps. Now another tip, and these I get this is my like tip Tuesday. I've heard people call that before. So diagnosis reporting on outpatient records. So in the outpatient setting, sometimes it can be difficult to know what diagnoses are reported and what should be listed first or what we call the, the primary or principal diagnosis for that patient or for that encounter. So in an outpatient coding setting, coders are allowed to code. Now, this is you want to be clear on this, especially as we head into our 2023 new coding situation or new coding rules, I should say, and new coding, new codes that we're going to have. So you want to hear this because I see people mess this up all the time. So in an outpatient, in outpatient coding, coders are allowed to code from pathology and radiology reports without the attending or treating physician confirming the diagnosis. Why is that? Because the pathologist and the radiologist are physicians, and if they have interpreted the tissue or the test on the actual path or, path or radiology report, then you can extrapolate a code from there. Again, you, as a coder, you would code to the highest degree of certainty at the time of the coding. If there's a final report available at the time of the coding, which maybe another physician has authenticated, maybe a treating physician, then you can use that to code from. But because pathologists and radiologists are physicians, and if they put a confirmed diagnosis on that report, you can use that. Now here is the caveat, and this is where everybody messes up on this. Outpatient coders cannot code, or I should say pull codes, from laboratory reports unless the physician has made a notation regarding the findings with the diagnosis from the laboratory results. So labs give results on the quick test, but it doesn't necessarily give you a definitive diagnosis. And that guidance we've, we're told is going to stay the same when we get into 2023. And there's been a lot of questions on this. Um, a recent AHA coding clinic for ICD-10 confirmed that the the, that advice is still current and it gives a lot of scenarios there. So if you get a chance, 
um, you want to look at that guidance and it's third quarter 2021 page 32 and that just um, addresses reporting additional diagnoses when um, it doesn't necessarily come from a physician but it comes from path or radiology and then what you're not to do with lab results so make sure again that you are looking at that AHA is kind of our Bible like it is for um, CPT when it comes to ICD-10 codes. So you just want to make sure you're following the rules and understanding the rules and have a reference to the rules should you be questioned on how you extrapolated a code from a record. Now the next kind of tip I want to give you and it's really it's kind of a sensitive subject but it's a coding tip on bullying and you know what is bullying and how is that coded. Um, most of you know I have a couple of philanthropic things that I do as far as giving back and one of the things that I do is I create in different uh, elementary schools um, bullying programs which I call them mentor programs for kids that you know have some issues and are being intimidated and either through social media or they are getting some kind of abuse either you know psychological through another adult or another uh, child and so it's just important to set up safe zones for for kids that you know just have some some things that they don't know how to deal with you know and first of all what is bullying so bullying is an unwanted and aggressive behavior that gives someone a real or perceived power or an imbalance over someone else it happens a lot in school uh, my daughter, who is a sixth grade English teacher, I know I mentioned her a lot. She's actually moving to a new job for high school um, in, in a couple of weeks, but it's not limited to just school. But she tells me this happens all the time. And so that was the first school that I actually set up this program. And now I'm, I'm four schools strong and keep going. But it occurs in neighborhoods. It's on buses, public spaces, but mostly on the Internet. And it can happen anywhere and to anyone. And there's really no single characteristic about it that puts someone at risk. And it's not always about being bigger or stronger. It's really about abusing that person through types of bullying like verbal. This includes teasing, threats, taunting, calling somebody names or inappropriate, you know, sexual comments, saying or writing mean things about someone. That's considered also considered verbal bullying. Um, social or relational bullying, that's when someone hurts um, another's reputation or relationship or saying something embarrassing about someone or spreading rumors. Um, purposely leaving someone out, telling others not to be friends with a specific person. Um, and even adult people do that, which is like, really, people, come on. Cyberbullying. Now, this is a little of both, verbal and social, and it takes place over digital devices. And this is so harmful. I mean, believe me, if I if we had to go back and look at social media, I wonder if it would be what it is right now. But you can see this over texts, and kids especially don't know tone. And, you know, remember when this happens, this can create a permanent um, public record. And so when people also put this on social media, it also is permanent. People don't realize people take screenshots all the time, even if you try to delete something and it can hurt somebody trying to get a job or get hired or accepted into a school. And so, you know, embarrassing or humiliating somebody that's cyberbullying. And then physical, and now that obviously is hurting somebody through spitting, hitting, pinching, kicking, you know, pushing, tripping, stealing someone else's possessions and breaking them or rude hand gestures. And so there's actually ICD-10 codes on this. 
And so, um, but there's also bullying about, you know, somebody who's overweight or they wear glasses. Um, one of the things that my daughter was telling me is that being poor, unable to, to dress like the rest of the kids or, um, you know, not living in areas where, you know, you can bathe or shower. And so these are really important things, especially for pediatricians to understand, uh, that how to respond to this from an ICD-10 standpoint and because right now still under the public health emergency, but also because it's been expanded on commercial health, there's a lot of options on telehealth too to address these behavioral health issues. So you're going to be in the for children in the T code section. You're going to start at T seventy four point three two X A, and that's basically child physiological. Um, psychological abuse, and there's initial, subsequent, and sequela for confirmed encounters. There's uh, suspected encounters, which I think that's interesting, or suspected abuse, I should say, and then personal history of psychological abuse in childhood. Now, you have to have the history documented without a current current, um, issue, and that would be in the Z62.81 area. Then for adults, we're in the Z74.31 to Z76.31. And again, it goes to um, psychological abuse, confirmed initial, subsequent, or sequela, or um, suspected initial, subsequent, or sequela, and then personal history of adult abuse. So if you're somebody that is dealing with that, then it's it's definitely from a, a clinical perspective or in your primary care office or even personally, you know, you need to bring this to somebody's attention. So your child, your grandchild, your friend's child, or if you have an adult that's struggling with, with this happening, make sure that, you know, this is a, and I'm air quoting a condition that uh, can get help through professionals, which actually brings me up a point. I'm actually going to be participating. I actually help facilitate it in a behavioral health and mental health summit. And that's coming up in October, the 20th through the 21st. You can go to the NSCHBC.org um, website, and uh, there's going to be eight of us speaking, including Sean Weiss, uh, Karen George, healthcare attorney, uh, Christine Hall, my good friend, um, Betty Hovey as well. And there's just a lot of us that are going to be speaking on this topic, Adam Middleton uh, with the NSCHBC as well. So there's going to be a lot of us talking about this topic when it comes to credentialing uh, for your behavioral health, maybe uh, mid-level providers. I'm going to be talking about telehealth, pediatrics, and adult medicine. I'm also going to be talking about how Medicare um, services can be paid on this. Um, we're going to have OIG information on this, but and how to integrate actually people into your uh, this service into your practice. So this is why I wanted to kind of bring this to your attention as well, because this kind of um, is part of that health information. Um, behavioral health situation and it is payable services but you have to know where to start so i wanted to start with that coding tip on bullying it's it's a sensitive subject subject and topic but i didn't want you to think that it that there's nothing to it so if it does happen it's something that definitely needs to be addressed from a clinical standpoint and so hopefully you have now uh, new codes that can help you do that the codecast podcast is brought to you today by netflix original series stranger things Season five now streaming. Check it out. Okay, my personal um, tidbit for today is just kind of kind of funny. We are in the home stretch of our pool install, and of course, we were hoping for a Labor Day install. No such luck. So we now get our um, sheetrock, which is the surface of the pool, uh, sprayed this coming Thursday, and then water goes in 
So hopefully we are all set for September. They're telling us 16th, it should be all ready for swimming. So that would be actually a month early from what they projected. So what can you do? Anyway, football season is starting. Um, I got talked into five fantasy football leagues this year. I don't know how I'm going to keep up. That's going to be really interesting. We've had all kinds of drafts. I've got two more coming up and crazy, crazy, crazy. But everyone, hopefully you're getting cool out of this heat somewhere and you are surviving and it's not too bad where you live. Um, But make sure you're also staying protected. And we will talk to you again next week on the CodeCast podcast. So make it a great day. And thanks for listening. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>